0: Some of you are familiar with David Wilkerson, the cross and the switchblade back in the 60s. How many of you have ever heard of David Wilkerson, cross and switchblade? Raise your hand. Nicky Cruz. <clears throat> Nicky Cruz was a leader in the Mau Mau's in New York City. He was an animal. He was exposed to David Wilkerson's ministry there in the early 60s as God had been doing something very supernatural in the charismatic movement, Uh, David Wilkerson going into the heart of New York City with this call to reach these gang members and in the process have his life threatened almost daily. Nikki Cruz was born and raised in, in Puerto Rico. His father and mother daily abused him. His father would throw him naked into a room of pigeons that they were raising, and the pigeons would constantly scratch at him. A hatred began to stir in his heart. Uh, A a, a hardness began to take hold of him. His mother was a witch. And I mean that literally. She was demonized. She would manifest regularly. She would perform seances, blood animal sacrifices. Excuse me. And Nikki Cruz just regularly got freaked out by this satanic worship. He would regularly see his mother manifest as she would do the blood sacrifices. It was repulsive to him and the spirits in her would manifest regularly. Nicky Cruz was a man filled with hate. You would say that life, through his parents and circumstances, dug him a hole so deep he could not even see the sky above. That's how deep his hole was. One day, years later, as he had moved to New York City, he encountered this man, David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson was a small guy, scrawny, <clears throat> but a passion for Jesus, a love for God. He was in this process of trying to reach the gangs, <clears throat> and he was telling them about the crusades, Nikki, you got to come. He have been trying to reach out to Nikki, just barely getting to know him. <clears throat> and Nikki looked at him and said, preacher, I don't need you in my life. I don't need your God. And if you come around me again, I'm going to kill you. And he turned to the guys and he said, Guys, to the mammas, we're going to go down into the basement here and we're going to do our drugs and we're going to do the women and we're going to have fun and we're going to party. And they went down there and they began doing their stuff and getting high. And David Wilkerson followed them down in. Oh, yes. Into the den of the lion, if you will. And David Wilkerson. he came in, Nicky looked at him and said, Preacher, I told you I don't need you. And if you take another step closer, as David Wilkerson was walking to him and talking to him, he said, Preacher, you take another step. I'm going to kill you. And David Wilkerson kept coming towards him and said, I need to tell you about the love of Jesus. And tears are beginning to stream down David Wilkerson's face. God sent me here and I've been praying for you. And he took another step and Nikki Cruz grabbed him and he ruffled up his shirt and he said, preacher, you're done. And he began to hit him and spit in his face and he threw him down on the ground. And he said, preacher, if you're not careful, I am gonna kill you. And David Wilkerson looked up at him and these words Nikki Cruz remembered throughout the rest of his life. David Wilkerson looked up at him and replied, you could cut me into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street and every piece will still love you. He kicked David Wilkerson out. Two weeks later, they were going to his, his gang members started going to the crusade and Nikki Cruz began to do that as well. He turned around during one of the crusades, and there on the ground was his man, his right-hand man, Willie, big guy. He was a hardened criminal, a murderer, and he looked up at him, and, and, and Nicky said, said to him, Willie, what are you doing on the ground? And, and Willie was crying so loud. Nicky Cruz said, I had never heard a man cry that loud. And I said, Willie, what are you doing? And Willie looked up at him and he said, Nicky, Jesus has changed my heart. He's rescued me. I'm a new man. I'm free. And Nikki looked at him and said, what are you talking about? That crusade, David Wilkerson began preaching about the cross one member in his gang after the other began giving their lives over to Jesus. And it came to Nikki's turn. And he remembers falling down and crying and just saying, Jesus, can you still forgive me? Is there enough for, to forgive me too? And Nicky gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he began to follow Jesus with a passion. Jesus didn't just forgive him of his sin. He pulled him out of the gang. He set him free. Nikki began preaching to the gang and to the other street gangs in New York City. And to this day, Nikki Cruz, he, from that moment, he began evangelizing around the world. And God had opened an amazing ministry. You may have read his book, Run, Baby, Run. What an extraordinary testimony of a man in which God took by the scruff of his neck and pulled him out of the den of Satan, out of a life filled with hatred, a man who had been physically, verbally abused, a man who had witnessed the power of Satan, but that power diminished in the face of the power of Jesus Christ. You could say it this way. Satan had dug a hole so deep for Nikki Cruz. The question is, even after he got saved, how could he climb out of this hole? Now, here's the truth. Some of us, God reaches down into that hole and he pulls us out completely and heals us. What an amazing God we serve. He is our redeemer and he purchases us to be his own. And he begins to show us the immense love that he has for us and now deep and wide and high and long it is. But here's a truth, a a reality check. Even though for many of us, like Nikki, our sins are completely forgiven. But as we begin to walk this journey in Christ, we begin to realize that we're not out of that hole. And we are asking God, we're just saying, God, all of these abuses and all of these trials and losing a close loved one and the hurts and the feelings of rejection that now we're just saying, God, would you heal me of these? Many of us right now, where you're sitting, you would have to say, I am still in this hole. God has forgiven me. God is in this process of pulling me out of this hole that other people's sins have dug for me or maybe my response to all of these hardships and and all of this anger in my life, I have dug this hole, however you see it. You've, You've chosen to follow Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. And he is right now in this process that we call sanctification of becoming more and more like Jesus. He is in this process of healing your heart. He's in this process of changing your character so that it looks more and more like Jesus. But it's a process. Now, I I am making it analogous to a whole because as we look up our perspective of All that has happened to us that put me in this hole is so limited. As you look up, there's just this little bit of sky that you can see. And as Jesus begins to pull you out more and more out of this hole, you begin to see the sky more and more. And the closer you get out of that hole, the broader you see this is God's purpose. I'm getting it now. So here's what I want to do. I want to take that illustration of a whole, and I want to overlay it with what we're going to learn about this morning. Now, you're there in Ephesians 5. I want you to remember, if you will, we have been talking about the empowerment of the Spirit. And one of the things that I have said is this. (coughs) Awesome, thank you. let's be careful not to read Paul into Luke. We looked at how Paul uses this phrase, receive the Spirit, and the fact that Paul understands the ministries, and I'm putting that in the plural purposely, of the Spirit, to bring us from death to life. We call that regeneration. To forgive us. Of our sins wash our sins away, not partially but completely. For the Spirit to adopt us into the family of God, so that in our heart, the indwelling Spirit cries, Abba, Father. And we have now, having been sealed, we've been, or having believed, we were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And so we have this amazing inheritance. And Paul even, Galatians 3, 5, talks about the empowering work of the Spirit and honestly many other places. So Paul sees all of these things. When he's talking about receiving the Spirit, he is talking about the initial indwelling Spirit that Luke does not in any way disagree with. Luke, however, when he uses this phrase we discovered, he means that one ministry of the Spirit When he baptizes us, generally, though not always, separate from conversion. And he's like that person standing on the shore watching this wave, the pipeline as the surfer is surfing through that pipeline. And the thunderous, powerful crashing of the wave on the seashore. But the beauty of that surfer, that is the empowered believer now at the baptism in the spirit, the reception of the spirit being filled with the spirit, when the spirit is poured out, when the spirit came upon them. We saw five synonyms that Luke uses for this one ministry, this one operation of the spirit to empower the believer. Today, though, I want us to look at what Paul means by being filled with the spirit, because it is different than how Luke uses that phrase, because Luke uses filled with the Spirit." to mean the empowerment of the spirit for the gifts that he gives every single one of us to function in his body, to be ministers, to minister to the body, but reach the lost. You are his craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. God has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare us, to equip us, for a work of ministry, every single one of you has the opportunity to be filled or baptized in his spirit, empowered by his spirit, to minister in the power of his spirit. But, Luke, excuse me, but Paul uses this phrase that I want us to focus on exclusively today. He uses it differently. It's not the empowerment of the spirit to minister in the spiritual gifts, but it is the empowerment of the spirit to take on and to develop Christ-like character. But we're going to discover that this character comes to us in the midst of us climbing out of our hole, if you will. Because in that hole, all the hurts, even the bitternesses that we are seeking to yield to God, this discovery of forgiving others, how to love when others reject you, this is Christ-like character. And so being filled with the Spirit is now for that purpose, to develop the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. So, (coughs) if you will, let's follow what Luke, excuse me, what Paul has to say here. (coughs) In chapter 5, starting with verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If I can pause right there, what do you believe, according to Paul, is God's will? It is to be wise, to live as wise, not as foolish. Read the book of Proverbs. Wow, is that an eye-opener. That is God's will. That is how God wants you to live. That's how God wants you to be a friend. That's how God wants you to trust him. That's how God wants you to use your finances. That's how God wants you to sow into his kingdom. So many biblical principles of character in the book of Proverbs. Live as wise, not as unwise, not as foolish. Doing God's will. Then he goes on verse 18. He says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, partying, wild living. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Underline that phrase in your Bibles for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I think we've already discovered, as I've laid <clears throat> this diagram out for you, I wanna, I'm i just going to add a few little things on it to kind of give us a broader understanding. I'm going to take about five minutes, maybe less, to explain this We call this in uh, hermeneutics or how to study the Bible, we call this a schemata. Some of you are going to be taking my class in in co-op, and you're going to learn about schematas. I'm going to have you do schematas. You're going to look at paragraphs, and you're going to kind of see their relationships. That's really what we're going to be doing here, and it helps us understand what the author is saying because if you don't understand it, you're not going to be able to properly apply it, right? So right away, I think we can see this way. What is the relationship being, with being filled with the Spirit and living as wise or unwise? Now watch what I do. I'm only going to draw this. One little thing. Are you ready? That's it. Being filled with the Spirit then enables me to live as wise. So do you want to take on Christ-like character? Then Paul is saying... Be filled with the spirit. And by being filled with the spirit, he is being as you're filled up, then you are controlled by the spirit. See, when you're filled up with wine, alcohol, you're controlled by that alcohol. And you just end up doing stupid stuff, right? But when you're filled with the spirit, you start doing wise stuff, right? You start doing God's will. You start taking on the character of Christ. Your, your, your old man is, is being muffled more and more, and you stop listening to the flesh, and you start listening to the Spirit because the Spirit's controlling you. Why? Because he's filling you. The law of displacement. If you were to have a glass of water filled up to the top, and that water, then let's taint it, what, black. We'll just, you know, a few drops of black. Because that represents the sin in our life. And God begins to pour stuff, well, just like stones, into our life. But those are good stones, right? And he begins to pour those into, the, into that cup of yours. What's going to happen to that water, that sin in your life? What happens to it? It begins to flow over the rim of the cup, doesn't it? More and more. <clears throat> And now you, you start now instead of the large rocks, you're starting to pour sand and then really fine sand. It's fitting down into the crevices. And before you know it, your cup is so filled to the brim with all of these rocks and stones and such from God. Understand my analogy here that the water has no place and is completely empty of water. idealistically This is the law of displacement. God wants to fill you up with His spirit because the more you're filled with His spirit, the less of the flesh is there, the less you listen to the, to the flesh, the pleasures, the desires that lead us astray, and the more we're filled with the desire to do God's will and live as wise. So we're filled with the spirit so that we become more like Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> now. So we see this relationship with being filled with the Spirit, that it produces this Christ-like character in us. But here is a problem that we have. Saxon, if I were to tell you, be filled with the Spirit, how do you do that? Because it's something that happens to you, right? If when you're filled with the Spirit, God does something to you. Would, would, would you sit there and just beg him? Please, 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 oh, please. You know, God, God, is there something that you want me to do? Is there a formula you want me to follow? Oh, that's a good one here in America. We love formulas. You go to uh, nobles, you go to uh, books a million, and you've got the top 10 bestsellers. And and in those books, they've got so many formulas. You want success in your life? Just do these 10 things, right? Well, the Christians can play that game too. You want freedom from sexual sin? You just got to do these seven things, right? And you're going to be free from sexual sin. You want to be free from bitterness? You just got to do these four things. And we present formulas. The only problem with a formula is that it does not necessarily engage the heart. So what I'm going to lay out for you, I don't want to call it a formula. But it is something that we can do. And when we engage our heart with these keys, that's what I'm going to call them, keys. When we engage our heart with these keys, they will unlock the heart so that our heart is engaged As we do these various things that Paul lays out for us. And we are filled with the Spirit. Now, here's what's going to happen. I told you I'm going to take this concept of a hole and overlay it with the teaching of being filled with the Spirit. As you are in this process of climbing out of your hole, you're going to get at times frustrated. Listen to me. 20 years after I had given my heart to Christ. I found myself angry about the people that had dug this hole for me that I was in, certain insecurities, and and, and I was frustrated, and God said, Mike, number one, forgive this person and that person, but you are not a victim here because I want to show you the display of my grace I want to fill you with my spirit more and more to develop this character and pull you up out of this hole, okay? So when I'm talking about being filled with the spirit, that is God's grace in your life today that empowers you to climb out of that hole, all right? (coughs) Paul says this in Colossians 1 I believe it's verse twenty-eight. I have it written down here, but I'm I'm losing my place in my notes. I'm afraid. Colossians one twenty-nine. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. You know, as I'm came up here to preach, I'm sick right now. Okay, I am so tired and so exhausted, and I just said, okay, God. I'm in this little hole. Honestly, it is a little hole. I'm sick. And I, you put a word in my heart, and I want to share it with the people because it's truth. And I, I really want to see them walk in this freedom that, that your word talks to us about. So I need your grace right now. Struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me, Scripture says. So I want you to see that as you are filled with the Spirit, God is infusing his power, his grace in you, and you're going to climb up. And here's the beauty of it, church. You can get all kinds of bitter if you want, climbing out of that hole, seeing just how deep it is and looking at someone else and saying, man, their hole isn't nearly as deep as mine. God, life is not fair. Have you ever done that? I man, look at his circumstance. Oh, I wish I had his life. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had his boss. I wish I had his home or his circumstances. Man, that would make my life so much easier. But God, you've dealt me this raw deal. And we start focusing on our hole and how deep it is. And you know what? There is nothing that I can do and there's nothing that you can do to make your hole any shallower. Church, it is what it is. But here is the amazing grace and sovereignty of God as you. When you climb to and I'm, I'm just follow my analogies you climb to the top and God empowers you by your spirit. You're going to stand as it were at the top of that hole and God will have made you spiritually fit and trim and ready, filled with the spirit, filled with the character of God that apart from that hole you would not have had And so there there is a divine exchange that's going on here. With the devil meant for evil, God is now about to turn for good. And he is going to develop in you something that is so amazing, so beautiful, that without that hole, you would have never acquired. That's the exchange here. And it's hard. I understand that. But God is inviting you, can you trust me now as I empower you out of this hole and and develop something so radiant, so beautiful in your life by my grace? Can you be patient with me? I've got this purpose for your life, and you need this hole. You heard me, you need this hole. So as we look at this, I want to ask you, this right here, now five minutes right now as I unwrap this, less actually, three. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the main verb that Paul uses in this passage that I just read to you. What then follows are what's called five participles. Participles modify the main verb, just like adjectives, modify or describe a noun at participles are like verbal adjectives they describe or they modify the verb just like an adjective does for a noun okay now for some of you that's like 11th or 12th grade grammar and oh yeah participles gerunds and all of that fun stuff flashbacks some of them are horrible memories forgive me but this is what a participle is and this is what it does now I have another line here. What's the relationship? I drew a line here talking about this is the cause and this is the effect. What's the cause and the effect here? Let me give you an example, too, actually, very quickly, of how participles modify a verb. Are you ready? In Matthew 28, do you remember that very famous passage? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them whatever I've commanded you. Do you remember that? The main verb there, and some of you know this, the main verb there is make disciples, okay? It's now modified by three participles. Remember, these are participles. A lot of times they end in ing or ed, that's a participle. So the three participles in that Great Commission are going, baptizing, and teaching. How do going, baptizing, and teaching relate with the main verb of making disciples this way it's by going by baptizing by teaching them everything i've commanded you that will empower you to make disciples that's how you make disciples okay so those participles when you do them you end up making disciples do you see the cause and the effect relationship there now one more example that we actually read in the very next chapter here of Ephesians, of of the book of Ephesians in chapter six. Very well-known one. It's talking about the armor of God. And it's, (coughs) excuse me. And it says this in verse 13. It says, therefore, excuse me, verse 14. Stand firm then. And that's the main verb. Now, listen to the various participles that he introduces. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth. That's actually buckling the belt of truth around your waist. The next one is putting on, another participle, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. The next one, fitting your feet with the gospel of peace. And then the next one, taking up the shield of faith. Four participles. So here's my question to you. How do they relate with the main verb, stand firm? Well, let me ask you this. How do you stand firm? You do it by putting on these various pieces of armor. You do it by buckling the belt of truth around your waist, putting on the breastplate, fitting your feet, taking up the shield of faith. Those things, and as you put on, that is how you stand firm cause and effect the effect is now i'm standing firm let's now apply that to here be filled with the spirit how many commentators for some reason they say when you're filled with the spirit then you speak with psalms hymns spiritual songs to one another singing making music in your heart always giving thanks and i'm going to suggest to you the relationship is the other way around and i'm going to do it this this way By speaking, singing, making music, always giving thanks to God, submitting to one another, that then, those are keys, not a formula, for being filled with the Spirit. There's the cause and effect relationship. So, Saxon, Paul says to you, brother, be filled with the Spirit. And you look up at me and you say, Pastor Mike, how do I do that? Then you need to listen to the rest of the sermon. Here's how you do that, by speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks, submitting to one another. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break it down like this. That's, whoops. That's the first one. Here's the second one, and here's the third one. Allow me a few minutes now as I go through these. How... Is worship. And I'm just gonna use that one word to characterize those first three lines. I'm done with my five minutes of explaining this, by the way. You see the cause and effect relationship. So the first one is worship. How does worship enable you to be filled with the Spirit? I want you to think about that for a moment. How does that happen? How does worship enable you? And I'm going to word it th- I'm going to, I want us to see it this way. Worship are, is truth. And I'm going to read some worship songs to you, just bits and pieces of so you see this. But worship is all about us communicating with God, confessing, if you will, truths. And I'm going to tell you, some of these truths in the worship songs are absolutely powerful because they reflect the truths that we find in God's word. That's the beauty of worship. But, you see, it doesn't stop there. Because otherwise, you know, why, why singing? Why making music? Why don't we just speak truths like a confession? Here's something that's just incredible about music. Music is the key to our soul. There's something about music and its creativity and it moves us. Music moves us. And God uses that music then to take those truths that we're singing and impart them deep into our soul, deep into our heart. So that I'm, I'm going to be speaking, I believe, truths to you so that you can understand these truths. Some of these truths we sing in our worship songs. And then God is your singing those songs, he takes the melody, the music of it, and and with that, he takes the truths and he imparts them deep into your heart. And there is something that begins to happen then in your heart. It's amazing. You begin to see the beauty of God. You begin to look past your hole and you begin to look up at the sky And in the nighttime, you see, even though it might be only yay big, you see the stars and and the configuration and the beauty of it. And you're captivated by the beauty then of God and the works of God. And you're reminded of how amazing he is and how loving he is and how worthy of praise he is and how faithful he is that he will never leave you. These are truths about God and, how, and, and the ways of God. One more thing. It's not just truths. It's not just the melody. But God invites us to be expressive in our worship. And he, he know, we're made in his image. God knows how we are created. And so he asks us to be demonstrative in our worship. There's talking about lifting up of hands, bowing down before him, shouting to the Lord, clapping to honor him. Numerous ways in which he asks us to engage now in worship. Because as we do this, just like the melody takes those truths and impart them into our heart. So demonstrative worship opens up our heart all the more to receive them. And I cannot tell you there, there are times in which I've been worshiping and and just kind of <clears throat> like in my <coughs> in my home I I have a I stand in in my home in the we do the, our life group in the family room so I have an eye on the door and anyone who comes in I welcome them and such and you know some people get la- are late okay I give them a hug and welcome and come in and at, we're like halfway through worship and and I just feel so disconnected and I, I feel like God is wanting to minister to me so I take a step into and I'm out of the view of the door so as not to be distracted. And I just begin to lift up my hands and I kneel before him. And there is some, and it was almost instantaneous in which God just begins to minister to my heart in my life circumstances as I am declaring these truths. So I'm gonna do that right now. I'm gonna declare some truths. Today, we sang the song, Glorious Day. I needed rescue. Now, I'm not gonna sing this Okay, I'm just going to read the truths, but this is, do the melody in your mind, if you will, okay? That might be the best. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan, but you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open. Because you called my name. I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. And as you worship, as you sing these songs, isn't there something in your soul that is ignited by this truth and by the melody that makes you just... My heart, God, right now is in a posture of being surrendered and yielded to you. Isn't that what happens in your heart as, as those truths begin to well up and swell up in your heart? Yes, God. We walked into that time of worship. Maybe we were depressed. Our eyes were all over our circumstances and how ugly they were and how unfair they were. And God, where were you this last week in my life? Thanks a lot for nothing. And then we we begin to worship and we sing these words and the spirit of God just begins to win our heart again. And the hardness becomes soft the truths begin to find their way into my heart. And my rebellious heart that I had when I walked in is now yielded to the spirit of God. And at that moment, I am in the process of being filled with his spirit as I'm yielding. We just sang the cause for Christ. For this cause, I live. For this cause, I die. You're singing these words. Are they true or are they a lie on your lips? You don't have to answer that right now. Because <laughs> you're in the you're probably just, oh, I don't know if I'd be willing to die for you right now, God. Because anyway, because for this cause I live, for this cause I die, I surrender all. Ah, yes, God, okay. I surrender all for the cause of Christ. All I once held dear. Wait, 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 where are we going with this now, God. I will leave behind, for my joy is this, oh, the cause of Christ. Is that really your joy? You're singing it. You're exalting God. You're worshiping him for this cause. I'd live and die, for my joy is this, the cause of Christ. Wow. Okay, God, you're really beginning to do a job here. I was so broken and hurting when I came in. And now we reach this song that we sang last week. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil, I now surrender. You are breaking, and man, you feel that breaking, church. You are breaking, God, new ground. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me your vessel. Me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. Do you you really believe that, church? I came here with nothing. Ain't that the truth? But all you have given, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. As you're filling me with the spirit, bring that glorious new wine, that glorious, radiant truths that are being lived out the character of christ the fruit of the spirit the supernatural love that's not in me to offer the the supernatural joy that i came here depressed and you are now giving as a gift to me as i am offering myself as an offering to you surrendered to you and to your cause and to your purposes As God's beginning to unfold them, as he is filling you with his spirit and pulling you out of the hole. I've got more to say. I'm going to just leave it there. Uh, The second thing, giving thanks. See, the first one in worship, we're yielding to the truth of God. Yielding to the truth of God. Who God is. God's ways, who I am in Christ, the value that he chose to place on me, not what the world has placed because that amounts to almost nothing, but the value he chose to place on me. The second thing is giving thanks, yielding to God's ways. Now, I'm not suggesting that you start thanking God for the sins of others that put you in that hole. I don't thank God for sins, but I do thank him for my hole. And when we give thanks to God for everything, that means I'm saying right now, God, I don't understand why you allowed me in this hole. 20 years after I gave my heart to Christ, I am saying, God, I don't understand why you permitted all of these things to dig this hole for me. But here I am. Thank you for this hole because you have purposes for this as I am climbing out. As by your grace, which so powerfully works in me, I'm climbing out of this hole and you're filling me with this your spirit, and you're doing something. I, I, I can't see it, God. I, I just can't see it. The character that you're developing in me, others may say, yeah, I, I like that. And it's like, really? I, I don't see it. And that little, as we're looking up out of the hole, the hole, the sky is getting a little broader. We're beginning to see a little bit more of God's purposes. So I'm not suggesting that you thank him for the sin and for people who, who hurt you and, and those hurts and those things that were done against you. But I am suggesting that you thank him for those trials. Thank him for the hole that you find yourself in, for the grand purposes of God that you can't always see very clearly. See, when you're able to do that, you're able to do what James 1.3 says. Consider it pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Does that sound just absolutely contradictory to to the way life is or not? Oh, my goodness. To consider it pure joy in my hole when people have hurt me and betrayed me? When my boss fired me? Michael's sharing his testimony a little bit. When was it, brother? I, I, I can't remember, but sharing it with some of the guys. And he's talking about how his boss had fired him and blamed him for something the boss was eventually accused of and he was fired. Wow, God, where were you in that? I got fired because of this man and his sin and it was all his fault? And it truly was. God moved Mike on to another job that was even better. God's purposes were so much bigger. Mike just couldn't see it. I couldn't see it at that moment. But the whole, it's top began to get a little bigger give thanks in your circumstance number three submitting to one another when you're submitting to one another that means that you are yielding to their needs we have two examples wives submitting to husbands husbands i'm going to word it this way husbands submitting to their wives Wives submitting to their husbands as to their place of authority in the home, because they're the head of the home. Husbands submitting to their wives according to their needs. The husband, if you will, kneels before the wife and says, how may I serve you today? Some of you guys don't like that. (laughs) Meredith, yes, how may I serve you today? Oh, she's <laughs> going to give me a list. Oh, man, I wasn't expecting that. It's says honeydew at the very top there. Oh, my goodness. But that's what it's about. It's about being inconvenienced, church. And it's not just to your spouse, but it's to one another. So in, in worship, I'm yielding to God's truth and who he is and his ways that are good, whether I recognize it or not, and who I am in Christ, And the fact that he gave value to me and not the world. That's what happens in worship. I submit to his truth. The second thing is I am submitting or yielding to God's ways in my life. And and, and I don't completely understand them. I'm in this hole with a limited perspective, but God, I'm going to trust you. And number three, we are now submitting or yielding to one another. I am your servant. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul words it this way, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He didn't stop being God, but he emptied himself of all of his divine privileges and he became flesh, human, like you and me. He encumbered himself with limitations. The limitless God took on human limitations. And so Jesus, the God-man, Humbled himself even to the point of death. That's the degree to which he submitted to one another. Can you do that? When you're able to do that, when you're able to serve and submit and look not only to your own interests and do all this navel gazing, but look around and say, okay, God, I'm going to take my eyes off my hole and where I am in relation to this hole. I don't know if I'm halfway out or a fourth of the way out, or maybe I'm closer to the top. I don't know, but it really seems dark. And I'm not seeing a very good perspective up at, uh, up top here, but you know what, God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to take my eyes off myself and I'm going to choose, I'm going to serve people. And that's what life becomes submitting to the needs of others serving other people because the more you focus on yourself the harder life becomes as a counselor I can't tell you how many times people have walked in certainly none of you other people right and they've come in and their goal was Professor Mike I just want to be happy in my marriage I want to be happy and if I'm not going to be happy you know what I'm just going to get a divorce. And I have to look at him, and I have to share some really bad news. I say, you know what? As long as you strive after your happiness, you will never find it. Because happiness is not found in seeking it for yourself. Happiness, listen to this, happiness is found when you seek the other's happiness. You want to really be happy in your marriage? Serve your spouse. Yes, that's, that is when God fills you with his spirit as you submit to their needs. And how may I serve you today and make you happy and, and bring joy into your life and take my eyes off of myself and how miserable I think my life is and how deep and dark I think this hole is. I'm going to focus it in submitting to you. It's amazing. God fills me now with his spirit and he'll fill you with joy, supernatural love, all of these things that are the character of Christ, which is supernatural. So here we are. I'm going to close with an illustration here. It's kind of a twofold illustration. I'm just going to kind of wrap up the, so what What do we do about this now? We're submitting to God's truth. We're submitting to God's ways, and we're submitting to one another. And Paul is saying, when you do this, you're just going to be with his spirit, and empowered to live as Jesus did. But you've got to submit, surrender, yield. That's how this works. It's not about doing more. It's about surrendering more. Several years ago, actually, I won't tell you how many, but Kate was only three years of age, My wife and a 12-year-old friend with Kate on her, that is the 12-year-old friend's shoulders, were crossing four lanes of traffic. The speed limit was 25 miles an hour. On the other side of the road lay the beach, lots of fun, relaxing in the sand, enjoying the beautiful creation and warmth of God's sun rays. And as they crossed, Meredith stopped And she could hear the squealing of a truck's tires as it slid 35 feet. And as she saw Delia, their 12-year-old friend's foot, stepping on the other side of the curb, her heart relaxed. Accident avoided. But as the truck skidded sideways, there on the ground lay Delia and my three-year-old daughter. And I got a call, and I rushed there. And... Within the year, I saw two things happen in Kate's life. And, and I didn't realize the degree to which as a three-year-old you could be traumatized by something like this. They both lived. Well, you know Kate lived. <laughs> <coughs> Kate had one stitch in her mouth. She was hit apparently by the mirror of the passenger's side and it cut her cheek. One stitch. They came out that night. And, but she was fine. So we thought, and within that year, just a few months later, I can remember this. I was holding her hand. We had gotten out of our car. There was a building, and on the other side of the building, actually, in a courtyard was our apartment. And I was, we were crossing, uh, the, you would probably say the front yard of the, this side of the building. And all of a sudden, a helicopter came overhead. And I'm just kind of, let's go, sweetie. And she pulled her hand out of mine. And she began to dart over here and then dart over here and then over here. And she was all over. That. I'm saying, sweetheart, what is going on? She was freaking out. And I began to chase her. And finally, I was able to grab her. And I said, sweetie, it's daddy. I'm here. Everything is okay. And the noise of the helicopter caused her to remember that accident. Now, she couldn't verbalize this as a pastor and such. I, I understand this. She broke hands with me, and she was like a little pinball in a pinball machine here and there. And where is she going? And I tried, everything's okay, honey. And I finally grabbed her by the hand and held her close to my chest. I just hugged her, and I began to just speak truth over her. You're okay. Daddy has you. The bad helicopter. She probably grew up thinking all helicopters are bad. (laughs) The bad helicopter is gone now, sweetheart. Daddy has you. You're safe. A few months later, almost now about a year after her accident, we go to a, they called it Mount Trashmore, and I'm not going to tell you why they do that, but it's like a, it's a nice hill filled with trash, right, buried, but they've, if there's grass all over it, and there's, I don't know, 500 or 5, 1,000 people there, and we're going to watch fireworks, so we're laying down on the grass, looking up, and it's nighttime now, and they're going to, they start the fireworks, Kate's sitting next to me. And when the first firework goes off, she closes her eyes and puts her head down and her, her hands over her ears. And I look at her and I say, sweetheart, it's okay. And then I, uh, she's starting to freak out again. These fireworks are too loud for her. And then finally, I, I put my arm around her and she crawls over into my lap. And I put her head on my chest so that her ear is against my my heart she just begins to hear my heartbeat and i'm putting her hand my hand over her other ear and i'm just calming her and i just begin to speak truth over her as her as she's listening to her father's heartbeat you know beats in music isn't is the faster the the beat to the music the more exciting it is the slower the beat like in a oh a, a romantic time or a a time of reflection, the music slows down, and as she's listening to my heartbeat, I'm just beginning to speak truth over her. Daddy has you. Daddy's got you, sweetie. You're safe. You're okay. You're all right, hon. And I just I did that for about 10 minutes. By the time my voice got hoarse, I realized this isn't gonna work, so we had to leave. But here's where I'm going with this. Some of you, you're like my daughter, you're in your hole. You feel abandoned by God. Something emotional is going on in you and you feel like that little pinball in the pinball machine back and forth, back and forth. And Jesus is pursuing you. The Father is pursuing you with arms open wide. He is wanting to speak truth over you. And here is what I'm going to ask you to do. Stop where you are and turn around and embrace the Father as he puts your head to his chest. As he begins to cover your ears and blind your eyes to the things around you and to just simply focus on him. Can you stand with me right now? I'm inviting you to do just that. In your life right now, where you're not understanding just why things are happening the way they are, Paul, in your hole is inviting you to be filled with the Spirit. I am encouraging you. Turn around. Let the Father embrace you. Let the Father speak truth over your life and whisper His love to your ear. God, you're good. Your compassion is beyond my understanding. But I thank you, O God, that you are so good. Your love truly endures forever. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So, Father, right now, as we turn and we embrace your love and your compassion, as we press in close to you and put our head on your chest and hear our Father's heartbeat, as you speak truth over us right now, come to our aid. Get rid of the anger. Get rid of these feelings that God is not for me. Get rid of the frustration, the fist-shaking disillusionment and speak truth speak to us of your unfailing love speak to us again of your faithfulness speak to us of your amazing grace that is more than enough for my situation right now today Speak of your joy that can fill my heart and displace the depression, the sadness, the, the weariness. Begin to fill us up with your spirit right now, God. As we turn to you, embrace you, and yield to you, God. rescue. My sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight of your glory, God. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. But you called me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that future. My eyes are open. Because when you called my name, I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, and into your glorious day, Jesus. Right now, as we are surrendered to your will, to your way, to your purposes that we do not fully understand. Fill us now with your spirit. Fill us now with hope, with encouragement, with peace, with a joy, with a gratitude in our hearts that fills us up, God, that controls us by your spirit, God, that we are able to walk in your will, empowered by your spirit. Form Christ in me today make me more like Jesus and in your timing and in your healing and in my thanksgiving of where I'm at lift me out of this hole show me Jesus so faithful, so loving, so patient with me, I'm forever grateful. Thank you, God. Father, I just ask, do a deep work in our hearts right now, would you please? Hearts humbled. We draw near to you, God. Your word says you will draw near to us. Do that.